Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. I'm going to get that gun of mine, and I'm going to change you from a rooster to a hen with one shot. Some people call me a freak. I hate that word. I don't believe in it. Better yet, I don't believe in labels. You know, I think you're the only girl in the world that can stand on a stage with a spotlight in her eye and still see a diamond inside a man's pocket. Because I'm up at five every morning working my ass off. Does someone want to just tell me to my face, you're never going to give me the scores I deserve? This episode is a special one that was recorded at the UK Film Centre at the Cannes Film Festival. Enjoy. Welcome to Girls on Film at the UK Film Centre in Cannes. My name is Anna Smith. I am a film critic and broadcaster, and I just love doing the Girls on Film podcast. Can you give me a clap if you've listened to the podcast? Yay! Thank you. And there'll be a chance to have a Q&A in the middle as well at the end. And we've got two sets of wonderful guests here today. Um, first of all, we're going to talk to a couple of film critics. I would like to welcome a film critic who writes for The Hollywood Reporter and Variety and The Guardian. Please welcome Leslie Felperin. <laughs> hey, Leslie, great to have you here. Lovely to be here. Thank you. Now, our second guest is a freelance writer for Culture Whisperer, Empire, Little White Lies, Sight and Sound, and it is Ella Kemp. Woo! Hi, Ella. Hello. Uh, well, thanks to the uh, We Are UK Film for having us here today, and thank you all for coming. Dude, there's um, IMDb people. Come and sit in the front row if you'd like. There's some space here. No? <laughs> Shy. Shy at the back. Uh, well, it's great to see you all here. Now... Leslie, you're a bit of a can veteran, is that fair to say? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I've been coming since 2000. I think I had okay. one year off to have a child, and then <laughs> one year where I came when I was five months pregnant, which was quite fun. Wow. And yeah, no, they treated me really well. The guys on the door, they were like, oh, come on, come you know, like making room for me. So that was fine. Okay. It was nice, yeah. But other than that, yeah, pretty steadily since 2000. How about yourself, Ella? Uh, it's my second can, so a couple, couple of years less, but yeah, I'm enjoying it. This is my ninth, so yeah, I'm feeling like a baby compared to you. But, you know, we, we, we love can, you know, we have ups and downs, but it's mm. good to be here. It feels like there's been a lot of talk about women in the industry in can, which has been amplified over the past few years, which obviously, being an all-female film review podcast, we like to discuss. So, of course, this year's poster, we had Agnes Varda, which was just a wonderful moment to see that iconic director up there. Um, but of course, last year, we also had the signing of the Pledge for Greater Gender Parity, which I was witness to. Was anyone else there? Yeah, a couple of hands up there. Great. And that was, I, that felt like a really special moment to me because it felt like a conversation that was long overdue. Um, but we'd like, and we also had the 82 women directors on the SEPs to signify the 82, only 82 women ever nominated for the Palm d'Or. Crazy stuff. So the question is, how things changed this year and how many actual female directors do we have in the competition? For the Palm d'Or, a grand total of four. So do we feel that's enough? No. <laughs> of course not. Of course not. Absolutely not. <laughs> Let's talk through them because I think we've got some gems in here. Mm. Um, now, the first one we want to discuss is Atlantique by Matty Diop. Uh, give us a clap if you saw that one. Okay, oh, not too many, so we can, we can share our thoughts with you with this. So it's actually the first film from a black female director to compete for the Palm d'Or, astonishingly. It's set in Senegal. It's a blend, really interesting blend of genres. There is an essential sense of realism, but the film, without giving too much away, does take a bit of a turn, doesn't it? 
Leslie? Yeah, I mean, I don't think you can really talk about what's interesting about the film without giving a bit away. So, so please forgive me. If you don't like any kind of spoiler, stick your fingers in your ear and go, nah, nah, nah. Um, but yeah, it's, a, it's kind of a ghost story. It, there's a supernatural element to it where um, this girl's lover, Suleiman, that she, she kind of rejected a little bit so he, she could marry someone richer, which is, which is a kind of interesting quality, um, seems to be haunting her in some way. Um, so quite oniric and dreamlike and very sort of um, beautifully shot and great cinematography by Claire... What did, Thank you. Great. Um, who's also him. shot um, a Portrait of a Girl on Fire, another film I really like. So, you know, it's it may not be a great year for women directors. It's always happy to see Ford, but it's actually a pretty good year for female cinematographers. That's a really good point. Yeah. And, and she makes beautiful work of the sea, the Atlantic. She of the does. Yeah. And just, she does, she shoots night scenes like nobody else. You know, she does this, you know, they're really evocative and you can sort of see the outlines of people, but it doesn't feel like it was shot day for night in any kind of artificial way. So, no, I think that that's really actually one of the more interesting aspects of the film. Yeah. Ella, let's talk a bit about your response to it, and can you perhaps focus a little bit on the female characters and the fact there's a lot of really strong female characters and the complex female characters in this, aren't there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the fact that it's a love story is really interesting because you have this central woman who is thinking about this man who's gone missing and other men who might be there, who just all sorts of different characters who kind of come and go. But she is the constant as well as her friend and it's really interesting to focus on them the whole time and what's going through their mind as opposed to the things that they're missing and the other things that they're yearning for because sometimes it can feel like you've got these female characters who are a vehicle for thinking about someone else who's not there but they always stay the, the main focus and I think it's it comes as much from their performances which is just so gripping in this almost hypnotizing kind of way you've got the the, the supernatural side to it um, and the direction as well. You can tell that it's always just closed in and it takes such good care about the way that their faces and bodies are always just really um, made to look just beautiful all the time. Yeah, well said. And I think this has quite a lot to say about gender if you choose to look into it as well because there's, um, there's some very interesting kind of possession aspects and sort of gender flipping in this, which is really interesting. Which is also kind of problematic as well. And right. again... We can't really discuss it without giving the really important part away. So. I think I know what you mean. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I know what you mean. So, yeah, as will other people who've seen it. But generally, would we recommend that people watch Atlantic? I think, to be very, very honest, I think you have to be quite art house friendly. You know, this is not, mm -hmm. this is not a Nancy Myers film. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, quite, um, it's quite rarefied. And, and, and it's also... There's um, a lot of naturalism, and the way she directs them is really good, but that's partly... She's, she, I mean, the stuff she did in her short film, Mille Soleil, is just magnificent, beautiful film, also shot in Africa and also kind of tribute to African cinema, which she's a kind of daughter of. Her, her uncle directed a film called Tuki Buki. So it's, um, it's very Afrocentric, and she's working with non-professionals. So I think that kind of has an effect on the, on the atmosphere of the film. But it's, you know, I thought it was mostly... And some people absolutely fell hard for it and just think it's a piece of poetic cinema par excellence. But, you know, I have some reservations, but I thought it, it was good. It was very interesting. Mm. I must admit, I also have a few reservations, but I think it's so exciting to be able to see the first film, a first film that is so beguiling in this kind of way. Mm. And I think it's so important to go and see it, to be able to say in 15, 20 years' time, I was there when she started. I saw what lit 
you know, the amazing things that I'm sure she's going to do next as well. That's a really good point to make because at Girls on Film, we really want to support female filmmakers. That's the way that you can help, you know, it's actually go and pay to see the film. So, yeah, I gave it four out of five in Time Out when I reviewed it and I felt that I was really toying between a three and four, to be honest, because it is, it is quite rarefied. It is very distinct. It's not for everyone. But I think if, you, if you're sort of bewitched by it, then you, ro you roll with it mm. and it's worth it. So, yeah, Atlantique. Let's move on to another film by Jessica Hausner in the competition. Little Joe, this is set in the UK and stars the great Emily Beecham as a genetic scientist. Give us a clap if you saw Little Joe. Ah, quite a good turnout from the Little Joe watchers here. Um, let's have a look at a clip uh, involving this very interesting plant. We are entering a new era here. The first mood-lifting, antidepressant, happy plant that's fit for market. I mean, you can imagine the benefit for humanity implicated in this innovation. Mm -hmm. Yes, but will the plants be fully grown for the flower fair? There's not much time left. As a side effect of the breeding program, the plants produce an excess of the growth hormone cytokinin. So, yes, they will be ready on time for the fair. What this plant really needs is love. <laughs> So, little Joe, yeah, very, I mean, very female-focused again. You know, you've got a, a very interesting woman in the centre of the story who is a mother and her sort of maternity comes into it quite a lot. What did you make of this one, Leslie? I was disappointed, to be honest. I, I'm a big fan of Jessica Hausner's. I loved a film she made a few years ago that was in Venice called Lourdes, which was just fantastic and, and really transcendent. I thought this film, you know... I, who could not love all that color coding and and you know well, obviously yeah. <laughs> I mean if you like teal you'll like this yeah. film I hope they have that as a suggestion on the IMDb yeah 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 <laughs> exactly I mean it's it's just stunning looking and all the you know the, the costumes are fantastic um, and I love the way the costumes actually sort of really suggest what's going on with the characters in a way so they play this really integral role and the grading that's been done on that film is really very subtle so there, there's this you know lapidary quality you can just see the, the way that her boss in that clip, the blue eyes on him pop really well. So technically, I found it fascinating. I thought the story was quite thin. And, you know, there it's all text and no subtext. You know, this sort of thing about motherhood, maternal guilt, and, and it, it was, it wasn't, uh, there wasn't any complexity to that. Right. And I was, yeah, I'm sadly a little bit disappointed. I thought there were some things to admire in it. But I think also she hasn't quite, I think, believe this is her first film in English, is it? Yes. And and that's all. That's always a challenge. Directing people in a new language, a different language. She's she's Austrian, so um, although I'm sure she speaks quite well English, it's it's hearing the register. It's very stilted, and sometimes that can really work. Like in the the work of Jorgos Lanthimos, a kind of stilted delivery can be really expressive and really comical. Not so much here, I felt. Yeah, I felt a bit of the Yorga Santimos feeling about it, but yeah, and I, but I wasn't as confident that that was deliberate. And, and yeah, but it may have been. But Ella, what did you make of it? I really, really loved it. Um, I would agree in the sense of it being all text and less subtext, but in a way I quite enjoyed that because I thought it's such a bizarre premise that is pushed very, very far. And I find that sometimes when it goes into that realm of dystopia, sometimes the story can kind of run away from you and become a bit slippery and a bit too convoluted. But I quite liked how lucid it was and everything was pristine, as much in the way everything looks and the way that everyone speaks. Matter of fact, like the things that are happening to them are completely normal. Um, yeah, I, I don't know, I was very taken with it. And the whole, the, the politeness of it, 
in the face of such strange things that are happening, I found it unsettling. And yeah, there was, I, I liked, I could just imagine Yorgos Lanthimos on the jury watching this thinking, yes, yes, she's learned well. Yes, she's watched the right <laughs> movies. This is great. Or he's I thinking, so. thinking, bitch, is ripping me <laughs> off, you know. Back off my territory, she girl. She got there first with this idea with the happy plant. True, true, true. But yeah, I thought it was terrific. And I thought all of the performances were very, very interesting as well. Um, I mean, Emily Beecham was fantastic. And I found that her performance and delivery of the lines contrasted quite a lot with the way that she looked because she's the only person who has a circular haircut and her outfits are always a lot more color blocked than everyone else so I feel like sometimes that could suggest oh she's the one who's who's going to cause trouble or something but she's the hero that you have to trust whether whether you can or not and then Ben Weshaw you know Lanthimos, the lobster again. Yeah, great. All, always good, Ben Michelle. But Kerry Fox, I thought, was really great to see her in this mm. film as well. And she's a great dog in it as well. Fantastic dog. So watch yeah. out for that one on Friday, the Palm Dog Awards. Yeah. Could be a contender. Mm -hmm. I think so, because it's saying. been a bit thin on dogs. Yeah, no, but I think we'll rustle some up for you. Don't worry. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, Kerry Fox was great, and she's kind of sort of bowls on in as this disruptive influence, and there, and there is some kind of... Um, implication that the men have some sort of sexist judgment about her or this mm -hmm. hysterical woman. Mm -hmm. So I thought it touched on some really interesting things, but I'm somewhere in between the two of you. I think I, 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 I wanted to like it more than I did. I did like it, mm -hmm. but I felt it didn't quite, the payoff didn't quite satisfy me. But I do, again, very much looking forward to seeing what she's doing next. Yeah. So, cool. Now, Portrait of a Lady mm -hmm. on Fire. Who's seen this? Give us a clap. I can see by the smiles on your faces. <laughs> um, this is a love story set in France in 1790. Um, it received a standing ovation at the premiere, which I was at. Uh, it's about two young women who fall in love while one is painting a portrait of the other. So this is a scene earlier on the film um, where the painter, played by Nomi Merlon, is quizzing the young servant about the woman she's about to paint. And I love the fact that you really don't see um, the, the woman for a very long time and there's that sense of anticipation and the reveal about to happen and you sort of see the back of her head before she turns around. It's so much about longing and looking and waiting. Um, Ella, let me come to you first. Did you love it? I I loved it so much. Oh, it's so beautiful. Um, I went to, I think, the second or third screening of it, so anticipation was already so high. And it was interesting because the way people were talking about it, they were very enthusiastic, but in kind of very low voices, as if everyone's kind of a bit taken away with it and just drunk on admiration of this film. And I now feel the same way. It's it's stunning, and I feel like the more you think about it and the more you want to revisit it, just the better it gets. It's just so rich, and oh, it's beautiful. Leslie, there are a lot of themes this, this explores. Um, were there any that particularly stood out to you and that, like Ella's saying, are kind of playing on in your mind? Oh, my God, it's such a rich text. I mean, i just completely besotted by it, like you were, Ella. It's, it's so beautifully done. I think I love the whole stuff about creation and artistry, and the director really immersed herself, um, Celine Sharma, in the history of women's painting, and didn't know this, but it reveals the text in the press book that there were a lot of them, actually, at this period, this sort of you know late uh, 1770s, because portraiture was so popular at the time, and then it kind of winnowed them out. The Academy kind of suppressed them, but actually it's, it's quite historically accurate. So I thought that was really fascinating as someone who studied art for a while. Um, I just like love, there's a fantastic scene where the two women are talking about 
how they've studied each other almost as if they were paintings themselves and they're talking about you do, you do this when you're lying and you do you know you do that when you're happy and and it's just it's about looking in the most profound way and that is really real and it's about you know how love is is partly about appearance but it is about kind of capturing the soul and the fact that Chama is actually lovers with the girl who plays Eloise, the, um, the protagonist. There's, it is a kind of hymn to her, but it's also, there's this kind of, you know, fascinating multidimensional relationship going on between the actresses and the director and, and what it is to kind of worship someone and what it is to shoot them. So, I mean, I mean you, you just know there's going to be lots of film studies articles about the female gaze yes. and it, it's yes. just going to nail that one it's going to be a real favorite but it, you know it's like the, like the piano in that sense it's about a woman looking and a woman artist yeah. I felt the piano definitely sprang to mind immediately when you see the waves crashing and she's on a boat and then rescuing something yeah. that falls off the boat um, but in a beautiful way as you say the cinematography exceptional um, I want to talk a bit about the romance Ella because it is intensely romantic and it feels that kind of broke back mountain kind of heart wrenching thing but not I wouldn't say it's quite as commercial as that even though it's very accessible it's probably I think it digs a bit deeper than films like that and call me by your name so great to see a love story between two women that is that deeply deeply romantic what did you think absolutely I mean I must admit that call me by your name definitely came to mind but yeah it was such a relief to not have to worry about anyone else interfering I loved how focused in it was on these two characters and it gives them the time and the space to, to get to know each other and find the details as much through the words that they say and their looks. And it's very tactile as well. Like there's so many shots that focus in really closely on their bodies. Like you get to know their hair very well, pores of their face, and it's it's absolutely stunning. Um, and I actually read that um, Xavier Dolan, premiering this film this week, saw this film. Um, and he wrote his own review on his Instagram, and he was saying that it was so, such a relief and so wonderful to just watch these women with no men for two hours. Mm. And I must agree. I, you know, I, I loved Call Me By Your Name. I love Brokeback Mountain. But we haven't seen a film like this focusing on two women in a while. It's stunning. Isn't that an exceptional film that makes people feel that way? You know, mm. it is the magic of cinema. And I did feel at the end of that premiere, looking around, looking for someone I knew to hug, literally, that there was a very special moment. So I do think we can wholeheartedly recommend this film. Yeah. And I hope it wins the Palm d'Or. I do too. Me too. So let's talk a little bit about other films that were not directed by women in this festival briefly. Give us a round of applause if you saw the opening film, Dead Don't Die. So, zombie film, Jim Jarmusch, first time that's happened in Cannes. Uh, let's have a look at a trailer. In this peaceful town, on these quiet streets, something terrifying, something horrifying is coming. Excuse me, we're closed. Get away from me! What the hell was it? A wild animal? This is really awful. Maybe the worst thing I've ever seen. What was it, wild animals? So what are you thinking? I'm thinking zombies. What? You know, the undead. Ghouls. You look gorgeous. Oh my. Are you in this together? Flesh-eating zombies. Don't joke, it's really, really creepy. Ah, oh, hey! 
Oh, man. This isn't going to end well. They gravitate towards things they did when they were alive. Did she just say Chardonnay? Yeah, she did. So that's a dead don't die. I mean, as you can see, it's funny. I thought it was funny. Um, terrific cast. But I thought kind of the allegory and the symbolism was a little bit simplistic. And I'm not sure that it worked as a genre movie or as a political statement. Ella, what did you think? Yeah, I, I was very excited to see this as it was the first one, obviously. But then... I kept waiting for the film to kick off, for things to suddenly, you know, go into this very exciting kind of apocalypse. And I've, I felt like it never really did. And I don't know why I was expecting anything else from Jim Jarmusch, because when the film finished and you had this kind of very moody, slow, funny, but also quite relaxed zombie film, I thought that was a Jim Jarmusch film. Of course, it made complete sense. Yeah, um, well but said. yeah, I was hoping for a bit more blood than dust, really. <laughs> Fair play. Leslie. Well, Blood and Dust is a good, good, good title for a film. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I'm with uh, Bill Murray. This, this is not good. I just thought it was terrible. Really? really was. And really? I, I do like Jim Jarmusch. I think he's a patchy director. And some films of his I've really loved back in the day. I love um, the early ones down by Law and Stranger Than Paradise. I really like, I thought Patterson was a bit of a return yeah. to form. Um, this was just lazy and right. da I mean, I don't want to just like, I could just go on and say, shit. It was just, there was just a lot of, I mean, I just really didn't think it was thought out. And it was just to kind of, it just felt like, like get a, let's get a bunch of friends together and yeah. make a movie. You could see that Tom Waits wasn't available for a key time, so they shot all his <laughs> scenes separately. And then <laughs> they brought so and Tilda doing one of her silly accents. And yeah, it's not the best use of Tilda, is it? There no, are better things you can do with No, yeah. it's just, and yeah. you know, she was much more interesting in The Only Lovers Left Alive, yes. which was... Jim Jarmusch's take on vampire films. Yes, you know? that was a better film, I thought. Yeah. yeah. So if you do want to see it, listeners, The Dead Don't Die is out in France now and it comes out in the UK on July 12th. Now we're moving on to some classic Cannes films and I'll be interested to know actually whether, whether Leslie saw these first time round. Um, I don't think Ella will have done, um, but um, let's, let's look at a couple. Actually, the first one is from my first year that I ever came to Cannes, 2011, and it's We Need to Talk About Kevin. Give us a clap if you've seen that one. So it's uh, Lynn Ramsey's film about a mother trying to come to terms with the actions of her son and stars Tilda Swinton. There you go. That's good use of Tilda Swinton, this film. And Ezra Miller, who's fantastic, I think, in this. And, he's, and he, he recently came out as queer and, and non-binary, actually. He came out as queer first and then non-binary. So he's a really interesting actor in the fact that he's playing superheroes and still acting, having been one of the first of gen his generations to do that, I think is fantastic. Um, let's have a look at a trailer we need to talk about, Kevin. Hey. You just have to rock him a little bit. Did you say mommy? No. Shouldn't he be talking by now? I wouldn't worry about it. Ball? No! He's just a boy. Just a sweet little boy. Just because you're used to something doesn't mean you like it. You're used to me. Great shot, Kevin. You're natural. First he cries too much, then he's too quiet. And you see it as some kind of personal vendetta? You think I'm exaggerating? Listen, buddy, it's easy to misunderstand when you hear it out of context. Why would I not know the context? Franklin, pick up the phone! He's just a sweet little, sweet little Pick up the phone! Just a sweet little boy. That's what boys do. 
Oh, I remember being blown away by that in Cannes. Leslie, did you feel the same way when you saw it? Yeah, I thought it was great. It was one of those films where sometimes you, as a trade critic, we're all kind of racing against each other to get the first review up and then therefore get the best Google results. It's ridiculous. But yeah. um, <laughs> I remember sometimes you're really stalled and sometimes they just flow. And that was one where it just came out really quickly. And, and uh, it, just because it was so meaty and so intense. And um, it's, I like the book a lot. I actually read the book when I was pregnant. So which was a big mistake. God. I, <laughs> Disturbing. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But I do think it really, I mean, both the book, I think the, this is a great adaptation of a really strong book. Yeah. And quite often the rule goes that, you know, you can make a, good, a great film of a mediocre book, but it's very hard to make a great film out of a, a great book yes, because true. the expectations breeders bring to it. Yeah. And I thought, actually, this one really, really was a beautiful marriage of, of you know, text and and director. I think it's one of Lynn Ramsey's best works. Yeah, Although I, I'm, I, I'm a big fan of, um, of her earlier stuff, of, of uh, Ratcatcher, though. Um, but it was, it's, it's a great, very troubling film. You know, it's in fun, it, it, it plays to her strengths. It's incredibly visual, the way it uses the set and the lights. And the, you know, it's, it's, uh, Tilda, it's one of Tilda's greatest performances. I, I'm just going to rhapsodizing on about yeah. it. But it was, um, it's a very troubling film. That, and while it was incredibly successful the book was incredibly successful it's a real book club favorite isn't it it's a kind of film a book that, that people discuss and it was a huge bestseller I remember there was a time where i saw everyone on the tube was reading <laughs> we need to cut but i think the film wasn't quite as successful financially because it's almost it's not the story we want to hear about women and motherhood it's just it's a little bit too raw about how it's very hard sometimes to love your own child yeah yeah and and, and, and children can be monsters and it's not what you it's not that's not the um, the gospel of these days and that's what makes it so interesting right ella the fact that this woman is, is just not a woman you see on screen very often yeah absolutely and so this was i think this was my introduction to lynn ramsey and it just absolutely floors you the first time around. And I, I wasn't familiar with the book, so I had no idea where it was going. And yeah, I think it's so skillful to man maintain that. It's not just tension, it's genuine fright from every scene to the next and always in a different way as well, I think. And I think that comes as much from the direction that Lynn Ramsey just sustains this dread that's never exploitative and never too flashy and just wonderful and then you've got these two performances Tilda Swinton who I agree is at her best but then Ezra Miller as well and the whole time I was just thinking who who is this kid and I think they match each other really well and it's just this ugh, frightening war the whole time it's brilliant yeah agreed fantastic stuff we thought we'd move on next to something which is very relevant to this year's jury and it's Amores Perros so this is comes from director Alejandro González Iñárritu who is the head of the jury. It was his debut feature in 2000, and it won Best Film at Critics Week. Um, now, who's seen this one? Leslie, you're familiar with this one. Were you, did you remember watching this in Cannes? No, I didn't. I did see it, I did see it at a film festival, but it was in Cannes. I think it was at Edinburgh or something like that. And yeah, it was, but I can remember everyone, it was one of those ones that everyone was talking about it. And because it was in Critics Week, so it was like, it was hard to get to, and the screening, the cinema smaller, and it was the hot ticket that year. Yeah, it's 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 a very striking film. I think it was an astonishing film, sort of burst onto the scene with here, and it's interesting to look back on his work now. We're in Cannes and seeing him kind of ruling the show. Yeah. So yeah, now that's that's definitely one to catch up with. Um, for the UK listeners, and sorry for anyone who's not based in the UK here, but we have a way that you can see these for free because they're showing on Mubi as part of their Cannes takeover during the festival streaming service, and we've got a special deal. So you can go on to movie.com slash girls on film 
and get a month of curated films to stream. And you can watch these. And they also get free cinema tickets, so it's pretty jammy stuff. Well, Leslie and Ella, thank you very much. Feel free to come back later, but thank, thank you for you your time. Now I'm going to talk to some uh, amazing industry women who I'm very excited about speaking to. And our first guest is Head of Sales and Acquisitions at the Urban Distribution International. She's a co-founder of the gender equality movement here in France, Collective 5050 by 2020. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Delphine Bess. Joining Delphine on stage is the founder and publisher of Women and Hollywood and the co-founder, artistic director of the Athena Film Festival, Melissa Silverstein. Hi, Melissa. I'm so thrilled to have you both on because I'm a big fan of both of your work and you've been working very hard to change things over the years. Um, you've both done a lot, but Delphine, could I ask to summarise a little bit more for the audience what you have been working on recently in particular? Hello, everyone. Uh, so as um, we, we were saying, I'm the um, co-founder of the Collective 5050, which we launched uh, last year in March. It was really um, an organization that was created in the wave of the Weinstein case and, and the Me Too movement, which took some time to crystallize in France. But thankfully, uh, it finally arrived to, to something and we, we decided to, um, to launch. And we were about 600 people at the beginning, which is good, and now it's like 1,600, so it's become much bigger. And our first action was the organization of the red carpet uh, last year of the 82 women um, to show, I mean, to try to trigger some attention on the issue. And after that, we launched the gender parity pledge because it was al always about um, doing something, not just talk and not just you know do a photo op a photo op on the on the stairs, but really try to take action. And so the gender parity pledge was the first uh, element that we launched, and we also started discussions with our French uh, Ministry of Culture and the CNC, which is the center that uh, handles uh, public funding for cinema in France. And we managed to um, have um, to create sorry a bonus that is um, given to films that actually have uh, parity in their uh, teams, so at the head of departments. A bonus. So A bonus. Yeah. So, so public funding that mm -hmm. comes for those films is uh, measured by 20%. Uh, Fantastic. That's really good, because money talks. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Um, Melissa, I've known you for a while, and I've seen you out here for many, many years, tirelessly campaigning about women in film. Uh, tell us how it all began. Well, this is my fifth can, and um, I felt that the work, when you come to Cannes, you're really kind of the center of the conversation. So that was why I decided to come and you know use my resources and come here to be a part of the conversation, to fuel the conversation on the need for more inclusion of women in the conversation here. I, you know, the US, we're really not can-centric in film, and so didn't really know much about can until I started paying attention to the film world, and then I was realizing this is a place where you can, um, you know, implement things. And so I, I, I started doing 
doing that and we creating events and really just uh, ratcheting up the conversation and not letting it stop. I think the key is you got to keep your foot on the pedal because everybody wants to go backwards. Well, not everybody, but you know, the people in power who don't want to lose power are just, you know, waiting for this to end. They think it's a fad is what you're saying or they're hoping it's a fad. Yeah. Yeah. And we're here to make sure it's not. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, tell us a bit about Women in Hollywood as well, when you started that, because you started out in the States. Yeah, yeah, so that's 2007, so I've been doing this work forever, uh, 12, 12 odd years, and, and really it was just to, for me, it was a discovery of um, the internet, the blogging world, um, finding a voice, um, putting it out there, seeing what responses there were, and... Um, it's been quite a journey. I had no idea what I was doing um, in the beginning, and it's become, for me, much more than just something on the internet. It's an initiative, and you know, we say we educate, advocate, and agitate for gender parity and inclusion in Hollywood and the global film industry, because a lot of the work I do now is outside the United States, because I want you know, women and Hollywood, it's not a location, it's a mindset. Like, Hollywood affects all of us, and so the name wasn't deliberate either. But uh, I think it's appropriate in terms of how we all are influenced by the images that are put out of the Hollywood factory and how we have to fight against them and stop the brain, and you know, we're brainwashed. So it's like, how do you interrupt that? It's all about disruption. What has happened this year that we should know about? We are doing a partnership with media about, um, which we, we launched a study about film critics um, in Europe because you know there was a similar study that was conducted in North America that showed a huge uh, you know, uh, disproportion between women, um, people of color, and, and white men. Um, so we decided to do the same on the European level. And so I, I've been in discussion with media and they, they worked a lot on trying to gather you know, the best practices uh, in Europe. So they, they gathered a, a little booklet with all the initiatives that, that came to life this year and it's actually a lot of them. And it's and on, on different level, you know, and, and, and I think it's, it's a global movement. And um, so initiatives are coming from everywhere and, um, and I think that is very positive. Glad you mentioned about the film critics because obviously Girls on Film is one of the reasons we started it is to give um, a voice to female film critics and in the UK we have similarly dismal numbers and statistics about the not only the people that are writing about film and talking about it on the radio but the sort of levels of jobs that they're given I mean I'm noticing there's even few I think there's even fewer UK female film critics out here in Cannes than there are at home because they're the ones that are freelancers and are not on the big gigs generally and they can't afford to come out here. So we need film criticism to be fully representative across the board, whether it's race, culture, social status, gender, everything, sexuality. So for the moment we only have the figures for France, but it's pretty clear that not only, so it's 37% of the women that worked uh, reviews in the past year. Um, but when you look into the figures, you realize that they mostly come from, you know, women's magazine or TV magazine. But when it comes to like the serious things, like the magazines specializing in culture or in cinema, the number drops to like 25, 27%. So there's a real issue there because it's always the same, you know, old white journalists giving their opinion on what should be seen and what should not, which is an issue. And, and like you said, I mean, I think uh, the festivals have a role to play there because, I mean, again, the festivals are at the end of the chain, so they can always hide 
hide behind this, but they can also help, which um, what, what was to Toronto and Sundance actually uh, had those initiatives to help uh, registration for journalists, um, film journalists from, you know, underrepresented uh, categories, which I think is a step, award, uh, step ahead. Sorry. And it's crazy that women is still an underrepresented category, but it yeah, is, you know, 50% you know, population. So, 50%. yeah, so there's some really good initiatives. So that's something that, you know, CAN could adopt, right, is those diversity initiatives. Yeah, and we've been working together on getting the uh, Gender Parity Pledge signed at other festivals across the globe. We have about 37, right? 47, sorry. Uh, festivals across the globe and what they do is they use it as a tool to have the conversations within their community and in their festival about what they could be doing next and how they could build on the inclusion so it's 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 you know it's a device people people can use um, to push the conversation in their own backyards yeah and what can people here do and people listening at home to further the cause whether they're in the business or not Delphine no, but I think also on an everyday level, I think when, when you're in a room where decisions are made, I mean, just look around, you know, and see if it's just, you know, white, older, male, and in that case, you have a problem. And I think it's really important to, to just, you know, um, say it, you know, say it out loud. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I was shocked uh, that people are shocked when there is a panel with only women, but if, when it was only men for like 100 <laughs> years or so, it was never an issue. So I think we really need to, um, to I mean, I need to see that we, we listen to diverse voices and especially, you know, in the places of power where decisions are made, it's really important that everyone has a, has a voice. Well, let's see what the audience yeah, think and if you guys have got some suggestions. Uh, Mike is roving. Hands up. Oh, Wendy. Hello, I just wanted to see, I'm, I'm really glad to see quite a few men in this room. Thank you for being here. Thank you, women, for being here, of course. Um, how important is it to get men in every discussion? Uh, you know, and Delphine, are there men that are members of the Collective 50-50? Melissa, are you dealing with men who support women in Hollywood? So yeah, yeah, of course, I mean, it's absolutely crucial that men are part of the conversation because it's 50-50, you know, it's not, it's not about women taking over the world. It's about just, you know, uh, taking our share of the world. And this is not going to happen if we don't work alongside men. Uh, and yet there are men in 50-50, of course, but I guess like the ratio is probably 15 to 20% of the people who signed are uh, men. Um, and we have only one man in our board, which is about a board of uh, 18 people, but it's a great one. So we are happy. Mm -hmm. um, so we know we need allies and it's something we're really working on as well. And I, actually we're working on, for instance, every time we, we organize a panel, we try to have at least one man on the panel. I mean, we didn't succeed last time, but you know, we try. So that's really the idea because we really uh, understand this is a crucial, uh, you know, th they are crucial allies in, in this, uh, you know, struggle. I, I just want to be clear, you know, just because you're for women doesn't mean you're against men. And I think everybody thinks when you talk about women stuff, it's like, you know, you're like, I don't care about men. No, that's not the, that's not the case at all. But um, what I work on is really kind of centering female women in the narrative. And um, I think men are entering this because economically they're seeing the potential in uh, female stories and female storytellers. So they all seem to be gravitating towards this stuff now, which is uh, a little jarring because I, 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 you know, the intentionality is not clear. Um, and so people should want to be a part of this work because it's going to make their lives better and because they're interested in um, you know, learning about more women directors and writers and things like that because they want to explore that and to escape from the narratives that they've been forced on, force-fed for you know, decades. But I, yeah, I would agree that there are 
allies who genuinely yeah yeah of course and many of them in this room no doubt you wouldn't be here otherwise so thank you good question that was um here's another one from a gentleman hello yes william um i very much enjoyed the conversation and as an actor and a producer um i definitely have empathized with the uh obstacles that women have been in film and television uh i do though think that sometimes i'm as a man, as a white man, an old white man, if you want, uh, not major powerful, but uh, you know, I am what I am, that I'm often put in a box with those that have anger toward what they've been up against in the past and that group. And there are many men out there that support this 100%. In fact, many of my roles right now, I am accepting from women that are directors and producers not the fact that they are women, but I want to work with them so that I can incorporate the conversation and depolarize the division that has become, at oftentimes, um, cause stagnant uh, conversation, communication, and anger and frustration. So I just want to make a comment that it's it's there are many uh, men out there that very much support this. It may not be in the media, like. It is, but uh, I want you to comment on that if you don't mind. Thank you. I think what you need to do is you need to lead on this. You are, you have privilege even being uh, who you are and you can take leadership roles on this and speaking out like here and speaking out in other places, um, it helps. Uh, It is important for, so like if there's someone's doing a panel, maybe you could be part of that panel. You can organize a panel of men, you know, working together, furthering all these issues. Um, And so I really appreciate that and I thank you and um, you just need to keep talking. I mean, what you're doing at your level, like that we all do at our like micro level is crucial because it's one small thing plus one small thing. Like for instance, I was talking with a director earlier, a woman, Um, she worked on a TV series for quite some months, of course it's a long shoot, and she hired a first assistant who was pregnant. So of course the producers came to her and say, this is gonna be a problem because she's gonna be eight, seven months pregnant towards the end of the shoot and this is too risky. And she stood for her, she said, you know what? Because as she said, like maybe a few years back I would have said, okay, Maybe my choices, yeah, it's risky, so let's not do it. Well, she stood for her, and it went actually quite well. And I think it's important that we all do those kind of, you know, things, and this will provoke a change at a higher level. I was just going to ask a simple question, actually, but but I'm going to make a statement now. Um, picking up on what you said, it's because it's that time of change and shifting ground. You you might have a project that is female-driven and you might be looking for a female director as a man, and you're sitting there, half of you is wondering, uh, are they thinking I'm just jumping on the bandwagon? And, and then half of you is, well, I know I'm not, so I'm just gonna tell it as it is, and you either take it for what it is or you don't. And invariably, people can sense your genuinity. But the shifting ground is, is you know, creates some chasms at times. Great. Thank you, and thank you for your comments. That was very valuable. Sorry. Can I just say something back about the bandwagon thing? Please jump on the bandwagon. <laughs> All us r- female writer-directors, we are happy for you to jump on the bandwagon. Any men out there who want to hire us, nobody's going to hold it against you. None of us women will, anyway. Great, thank you. Um, I think, Victoria, over here, you've started an initiative called Primetime. Would you be happy to chat about that briefly? If you'd pass the mic, thank you. 
Um, I want to firstly say thank you so much to so many of the wonderful women in this room, including you, Anna, for this incredible podcast, to Melissa, to Wendy, to the team at 5050 and Breaking Through the Lens. You've had wonderful events during at Cannes. It's been very uh, rallying and galvanizing. Um, I'm a member of Time's Up UK and Era 5050, which is equal representation for actresses and have started a new initiative called Primetime, which we launched on Monday, which is a centralized database of all the women working above and below the line in the industry. So there is no excuse not to hire and find women. Excellent, so how can people sign up? Go to the website primetime.network. Uh, companies welcome and uh, women as well, of course. Bravo, thank you. Thank you. So I could talk a little bit about my film festival because we have Please talk about your so film festival. I'm also the artistic director and co-founder of the Athena Film Festival, which takes place in New York. Uh, at the end of February, we're going to have our 10th festival. And Athena is focused on women and leadership, so it's women's leadership on screen. And so we screen films directed by men and women, but it's what we see on screen in terms of leadership. And we do features, documentaries, and shorts. And then we have a lot of other interventions, including works in progress for documentaries, a lab for uh, emerging women writers. We also have a lab in Los Angeles for TV writers and film writers, and created a program called The Athena List, which is for scripts that are further down the pike um, not yet in pre-production, to highlight and amplify those stories that we want to get made into film, uh, continuing, you know, creating programs to disrupt um, the norms of the way life has been. That's fantastic. Um, it's been such a pleasure to have you all here. I'm afraid we have to sort of wrap up, but we'll be around to chat afterwards. Um, may I say a big thank you to my guest, Leslie Felprim, Ella Kemp, Delphine Best, Melissa Silverstein, you have been fantastic. Really great pleasure. Round of applause. Thank you. Such a pleasure chatting to you. Thank you. And uh, thank you to our supporters who enabled us to produce the show in Cannes. So a big thanks to MUBI, to the independent film company, to UEG and to FIX. Thank you so much. We are UK Film and Wendy Mitchell specifically for getting us on board, for hosting us. Thank you all for being Girls on Film. Thanks. <laughs> Girls on Film is an HLA production produced by Hedda Archbold and audio producer Kelly Redman. Oh my. Are you in this together?